Welcome to the Real Live Faith Podcast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Janice. Life is a parable. All of creation points to God the Creator. We're going to be talking about how we see this in action in our everyday lives and how we use our good days and our mess-ups to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We don't know in what season of life you find yourself currently, but let this be a season of new life and growth. Join us as we talk about having real faith in real life. Now that it's springtime and we're heading towards summer, flowers are blooming, the earth is so colorful and beautiful with bright greens, pinks, purples, yellows, and oranges. And so the thought of planting seeds immediately comes to my mind. And you know, there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about seeds and planting in springtime. But there's one verse in particular that I came across several years ago about seeds that just really seemed to pick my interest and was just intriguing to me. It's John 12, 24, which says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I tried to apply, I guess, just a simple mindset, you know, and just make it make sense to the natural world around me. But I just I don't know. I I just couldn't see it. You know, it just didn't make sense. It seemed opposite of logic and reasoning. And I think scientifically, I was just trying to wrap my mind around the concept that was explained in that verse about how a seed dies when you put it in the ground. How does it die? You know, but when I started digging deeper and looking at the verse in its context and then cross-referencing with other scripture, the muddy water became a lot clearer to me. A seed only ever stays in its current state as long as it is above ground. If you leave it on the counter or sweep it onto your floor, it stays a seed. And more than likely, if you come back in a month, a year, or ten years, it will still be a seed. But something happens when you take that seed and place it in the earth soil. Change takes place to that seed when it goes down into the ground and is covered by dirt. That's right. It dies. And not in the sense that it ceases to live or exist or even that it rots and becomes unusable. It's dying or ceasing to stay the same in its present state of existence. It's, it ceases remaining a seed. Instead, it germinates, it sprouts, it gives way to a plant, you know, complete with fruit and seed heads. You know, imagine, if you will, a diagram of the life cycle of a plant. You know, we all learned that in school, and that's what comes to my mind. If you were to go and pull that plant up, roots and all, you won't find the original seed. That seed will be gone because the energy required to complete the production of the plant and the transformation which took place completely changes the existence and the state of that seed from its original form. In essence, the seed has died to itself so that the plant could sprout and bloom and be filled with fruit. I don't know about you, but for me personally, once I can understand by example in the natural world It just makes it so much easier to understand and apply spiritually. I guess I'm a visual person. I just need to see it. I need to understand it. And when I do that, it just sort of drives home the point and just makes it very clear to me. But it's also very important to look at a verse or a passage of scripture in context. You can do this by looking at the verses that come before and after the verse you're examining. When we look at the verses before and after John 12, verse 24, we can see that Jesus was talking about himself, specifically his own death. 
But before he goes on to explain, he gives great detail to believers about our full surrender and commitment to him as Lord of our life. So as we take it into context, let's scoot back a little bit and kind of wrap around with verses 12 through 26 of John chapter 12. It reads, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So verse 20 in these passages tells us that there were some Greeks who desired to see Jesus. Why is that important? Because they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. But why does that make any difference? Because the important thing is that there were some people who wanted to see Jesus. Shouldn't that be great? But the disciples weren't necessarily excited about it. They didn't respond with happiness. Instead, they were acting like Jesus' bodyguards and wanted to make sure he approved of their visit. Were they cautious? Were they fearful? I don't know. Maybe both. And don't we act like that sometimes? You know, when lost people come to us for help and they want to have Jesus, they want to know about him and learn about him and see him, and we don't really respond with joy and hospitality, but instead we respond with skepticism or caution or maybe even fear, kind of like you said, you know, as if we've just appointed ourselves as the vetting crew. We vet those who approach Jesus, and then we act as a go-between to see if they're genuine and worthy or safe to proceed in the journey. And we do that with all kinds of people in our society who are different from us, you know, maybe people addicted to drugs, maybe homeless people, or those who have an alcohol addiction, and just others that our society has sort of cast aside. Well, Philip and Andrew go to Jesus to inform him of these Greeks who wanted to see him, and they probably expected Jesus to answer, yes, bring them to me, or no, I can't see them right now. But Jesus never missed an opportunity to teach his disciples, and many things were not black and white. Answers warranted a lesson, a parable, or an act to help them understand the meaning. So what does Jesus do? He responds in verse 23, that the hour had come, quote, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, how interesting that the request by the Greeks brought an unclear answer from the disciples, but the request by the disciples brought a very clear answer from Jesus. You know, the disciples didn't know what to say, but Jesus knew exactly what their visit meant. It was time. It was time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then Jesus says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So the death and burial of Jesus was necessary for his glorification. And if you think about it, it seems really awkward or backward or weird, but death multiplies life. You know, and you think, how is that even possible? Well, go back to the wheat seed example. You know, how much does one kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying actually produce? I had to look it up. And I found that one grain of wheat can produce eight or more heads with over 40 seeds per head. Wow. 
So one seed, one grain actually has the potential to bring forth multiple grains, multiple seeds, right? But unless that one grain is planted, literally buried in the ground, then the potential has been hindered. It's, you know, inhibited. It's really prevented from happening. Fruit bearing is the direct result of Christ's death. Before a grain of wheat can bear fruit, it must die. Before Christ can be resurrected, he had to die. He lay in the grave, buried, so to speak, in the ground, just like a seed in the dirt. And just like in the grain of wheat that begins to sprout and bloom, it grows to have many seeds that fruit. Christ rose from the grave and became our root, our vine, and we are his branches bearing fruit. You know, God could have chosen not to send his son to earth, right? He could have chosen not to have his son's life given as a ransom for our sin, but he did send his son and his son did die for you and me. And John 3.16 tells us this. So does Romans 8.29, that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That verse says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Verses 25 through 26 say, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant shall also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then Matthew 16, 25 echoes this, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I really like the way that Dr. Joseph Nally Jr. puts it when he says Jesus's point in John 12 verses 25 and 26 is that if those Jesus believing kernels fully die to themselves in this world, then they will produce a mighty crop. The result is overwhelming. No wonder the great farmer of farmers says in Luke 10 verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, we need to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus doesn't mean for us to literally die in the sense that we cease to exist in life here on earth. He means to die as in to self. He wants us to forsake self-centeredness and chasing after vain fantasies of this world because the world and all that's in it is going to burn up one day. It's temporary. It's not going to last. But our souls are eternal. Our eternal future is what matters, and the souls of those here on earth. Where they go matters to God. He wants us to bear fruit for him, and we can't bear fruit unless we cease to exist alone as a seed. He wants us to die to ourselves and the old ways of our old nature. When we submit to the Father, we will move and exist in our new nature, and we will bear fruit for him. So Jesus was telling them what his plan was for the people of this world but he was also telling them what they are to do in return. He was going to die for the sins of the world, and we would have the opportunity to place faith in Christ, receive his salvation and the forgiveness of sins, and be able to join the family of God. That's why Jesus had to die, to bring us life. True life, abundant life, eternal life comes through death. He would lay down his life, and we should do the same. John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18 tell us, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. 
If we apply this back to his example of the grain of wheat from John 12, 24, he's trying to show his disciples and you and me that his death is for our benefit. That's right. And so if we're willing to lay down our life and die to self, then God can bear fruit in our lives and do something far greater than we could ever do on our own alone. It seems like a lot of Christians throw that around, though. So what does it mean to die to yourself? I agree. You know, because many times we think of dying to self as bad. And the reason we think it's bad is because we're giving up our selfish desires. And so that's why your flesh feels like it's, it's a bad thing. And so in this world, there's a battle. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh is telling you, eat whatever you want. You know, maybe you want six cupcakes. Eat them. Who cares, right? Maybe the flesh is telling you, wear whatever clothes you want right? Show all the skin that you want. Don't worry about modesty. Don't worry about being a stumbling block. Don't worry about what other people are going to hear you say or what movies you're going to go see. You know, your flesh wants to have its way. It wants to be the ruler in your life. And so there's a battle because your spirit does not want to do what your flesh wants to do. And so when you die to self, your flesh has a hard time surrendering because your flesh is going to see it as being deprived of something. That's what the flesh looks at, those choices, you know, but the flesh and the spirit, the flesh is saying, well, if I die to self, that means I have to be deprived of something, but it's not. Your spirit willingly wants to lay down the flesh and submit to the Lord over your life. It's not deprivation to die to self. It's actually provision because you place your dependence on God. And so therefore you're accessing his reservoir, his supply, his source. And so don't don't listen to your flesh. Listen to the truth of God's word, because we are not the loser when we die to self. I like the way Jan Johnson describes it in her article, Dying to Self and Discovering So Much More. She says, to die to self is to set aside what we want in this moment and focus instead on loving God with everything we've got and valuing others as highly as we value ourselves. This moves us away from self-centeredness and closer to becoming open-hearted followers of Christ who care deeply for others. It's much easier to pay attention to the concerns, interests, and needs of people when our own interests no longer consume us. As we die to self, we no longer try to get our own way or try to get people to look up to us. Quite simply, when we die to self, we are no longer obsessed with self. I love how she stated that. You know, and it makes me want to ask, what about me? What about you? Have we died to sin? Have we died to self? Have we died to the things of the world? As Christ headed to the cross, he told his disciples in John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus gave his life for you so that you could have forgiveness of sins be restored to God, and have eternal life with him. Yes, and 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We are not called to be the center of our own world. Christ is to be the center. We need to allow Jesus to take his rightful place in our hearts, minds, and lives by deliberately choosing to get out of his way. Let's choose to die to ourselves and allow him to raise us to new life. Come to Jesus and surrender your life to him. Follow him in obedience and submit to his word and authority. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, why wait? 
Seek him and call on his name for salvation. Confess that you are a sinner and repent of your sin. Surrender to Jesus today and place your trust in him as Savior and Lord of your life. Thanks for listening to the Real Life Faith Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share us with others so they too can learn about living out real faith in real life. You can check out our blog and shop at reallifefaith.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Gab Social. Don't forget to sign up for our emails to receive exclusive subscriber content. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.